Hi, guys. Welcome back to Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. I've got Peter Birkin with me. And Peter and I, we've tried before to do a recording. The the universe didn't didn't like it. It didn't it didn't let us connect the way we wanted to. So finally, after many months of working together towards this point, it finally culminated. And here I am. I'm so proud to have this guy on my show because his topic is so important. It's all about bullies, bully proving our schools, our world. And that is so important because bullying does happen. And it happens far too often and it is far too much. And you think we should learn and we should we think we should get better. And fuck do we? No. So therefore, it's so important. I've got Peter on my show. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your experience. And, and let's bounce this idea around what we maybe can do to actually prevent bullying and to actually nurture young people into into some people with respect to each other. So welcome to my show, Peter. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, were you bullied when you were a child? I was bullied first time when I was three years old. I wasn't, potty, I wasn't potty trained yet. And my dad got frustrated and angry and threw me against the toilet. And then from there, another occurrence happened. I mean, mind you, I have to preface, my mom and dad did the best they can with what they knew and how they were raised. So my dad, I did a lot of work to overcome the struggle of not forgiving my dad for probably over 40 years mm. until I actually reframed what he did to me and learned that it wasn't about me, it was about his anger. He just wasn't able to, in the moment, control his anger. So I reframed it and basically said he was overworked. He was tired, frustrated, was angry. And I, I forgave him for that. How young was he when you were three years old? So he was 42 years old. Right. Okay. He, I was eight out of nine children, so he had oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. a large family. Yeah. Catholic? Catholic upbringing or? Roman Catholic. My oh. mom converted my dad to be Roman Catholic, yeah. Well, that explains a bit. And that explains also a bit the, the strictness and, and the amount. But, I mean, I've got two sons, and they were a handful. Um, leave alone eight or nine of you guys. Uh, I would not know how to do that and i guess i loved it how you said it that he did the best that he could do under the circumstances and that is something that we often keep forgetting and so it's beautiful that you were able to make that step when you were at school was bullying an issue there did that follow you through your life yes it started a little bit more at home i had two older brothers that basically taught me how to box and wrestle and take good care of myself to get me ready for a tough world. So I was conditioned to believe that it was a really tough world out there. Mm -hmm. And I had to prepare myself mentally and physically so I could prepare myself for that. My first time I got bullied was in the playground. Uh, one of my later on friends got me to the ground and started kicking me. And I was just like, 
what is this all about? That was the first time outside the home that I got bullied. Mm-hmm. And I didn't react to it other than being dumbfounded that, wow, you could actually have this happen to you outside of your home. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what to do. So, yes, I was bullied before school in the playground. And then I was bullied throughout school, not only as a student, but as a teacher as well, mm-hmm. which we'll go about later in the story, too, I'm mm-hmm. sure. What were, how did you become a target? What were the reasons that people focused on you? Did you have to wear glasses or was your weight different or your behavior different? Yes, I had Coke bottle glasses. Remember the glasses that were magnified and made your eyes bigger? Mm-hmm. I had those. I went to a Roman Catholic private school. There was nine of us that went to that school. And because I was, just because I had glasses, I got raised, I was born with cross-eyed, okay? And then I had eye surgery, which was traumatized me to, I wouldn't. Couldn't even tell you how much that traumatized me. But I have a lazy eye now. But having those Coke bottle glasses was the reason people picked on me, I think. Yeah. Was that physical violence or was it name calling? There was a lot of name calling. Could have been physical violence. There was always who was the toughest kid in the neighborhood mindset growing up. So I fought a lot. I fought a lot to see who was the toughest kid. And then there was King of the Mountain, literally on top of a snow mountain. You would climb to the top of the mountain. You try to stay up on top of that as much as possible. It was a doggy dog world. And I was, I was very happy to say I stayed on top of the mountain most of the time. And of course that makes you a survivor and that suits you. And that, and you learn that this is a strange world out there. And that sometimes that a lot of people who do not live in such a world or have not been exposed to such a world don't even realize, don't even know. And I'm not glorifying violence, but violence has a has a way of finding you. And it either finds you prepared or it finds you unprepared, one way or the other. You you were found unprepared. And it was interesting that that experience when you were lying on the ground and dumbfounded and said, What's going on here? How old were you there? Nine. Nine. That happened to me four years later, 13, 14. First girlfriend um, had visited her, was sitting under the train station or tram station and trying to, to wait for the train to go home. And behind us was a bar, a rough bar. And the, a gang came out and they just thought it was fun to pour a beer over my head just because they could. And I stood up and said, why did you da- do that? And next thing, bang, bang, bang. And I was lying there on the ground and in front of me were my front teeth. So I was looking at my front teeth on the ground and thought, what the hell? Dumbfounded is exactly the right word. That was, that was when my world changed. Now, that was not by my choosing, but because I had been in the wrong place, wrong time. But from then onwards, I became a very different man, a very dark man, a very dark teenager. So the, the, the bruises had not disappeared when I started training martial arts 
and the boxing, the wrestling, and all those kind of things that you are saying, I did exactly the same. I was instrumental to get the guy, the, the ringleader, gang leader behind bars, and he swore he would kill me in three years' time. And I thought, okay, I've got three years to become, <laughs> to turn this pudgy teenager around into something else. And I did. I did turn into something else. Not necessarily the nicest guy, rather dark guy. So I, I know where you have been. And I know that this survivor in you can be a lifesaver, can be actually, uh, it is a really important part of you at times when everything is against you. It, so did this lifesaver, you were saying you were the king of the mountain, did you did that transpire or did that move into something else? Did you did you learn martial arts? Did you continue on a on a sports field in in competitive sports? My dad died when I was in seventh grade, nineteen seventy nine, and then what happened is, I went up to my mom. I said, "Mom, I'm kind of outgrowing the school," and I asked for her to go to the public school. So within the same year that my dad died, I transferred into the public school and I went out for the lacrosse team, uh -huh. which is a new sport to me with mm -hmm. the stick. Mm -hmm. And I got raised on a Native American stick, the Indian stick, mm -hmm. the wooden one. So they had these tight plastic sticks and I couldn't catch the ball. So they cut me from the team. I was the only child cut from the team out of all the kids. So I'm like, I'm playing three sports in parochial school. And then I go into public school and I can't make a silly lacrosse team because I couldn't <laughs> catch a ball. Okay. So I was cut. And then luckily baseball season started for our town soon after, but I started hanging around with the wrong peer group. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember them like smoking cigarettes through their nose, nasal passage. And I'm just like, I couldn't get into it, Stefan. I really couldn't. So what happened was, Soccer came around, you know, Americano soccer, okay. not the football stuff. And I didn't go out for the team because my self-esteem was so low. But then the basketball team came along. It was like 50 kids that tried out for the team. And I started every game in basketball, which then led into lacrosse season the following year in eighth grade. And I was able to make that team play three sports in high school. <laughs> and then go on to be a college lacrosse player, all-star. So when I was in college. Beautiful, beautiful. Because that often often happens, isn't it? You, you're, you're suddenly something happens to you and you get this, this kind of, fuck what now? And here you are, you're redefining yourself, uh, facing more hurdles in the progress, but you're changing and you're transforming and you're reacting to the challenges that you're facing there as a very young man, as a, as a teenager. And uh, there's a lot of trauma there that for the time being, you were dealing with, with the help of sports. And you had school and then free sports. Well, if I, <laughs> that's that's running away from something, if I may say. <laughs> but there was, there was us, there were no psychologists around, were there? Did you, did you ever, was there a school counselor of sorts at that time in your school, either in a Catholic one or in a public one? No, and there was the guidance counselor who did the scheduling. Yeah. Other than that, 
there was your teachers, mm. your parents, and someone making a schedule so you could go to class all day long. Indeed, indeed. That's pretty much it. The same here with me. I had no front teeth. I was absolutely traumatized. And yeah, that's about it. I found the most horrendous thing was when I actually, when the train finally arrived, by now the guys had moved on. I was bleeding, bruised, no teeth. And I went in there and no one in the train, neither the train driver nor anyone did say a word. No one gave anything. And I went, I think I went, no, I went first to the to the hospital. And there was not much they could do, just basically reassure me and I went home. But ultimately, to be so alone, no one there to help you, and you have to completely rely on yourself. Uh, I think that that left quite an impression on me, more so than being attacked. The afterwards, the realization, if I don't get my shit together, if I need to develop this, this Schweinehund, I need to develop the, the, the warrior in me. Um, otherwise, I'm stuffed. And so that's, that was something that I carried for the rest of my life. And needless to say, I jumped the gun a bit, but needless to say, I've got PTSD. And I didn't realize that up until probably two years ago, because I had completely reframed and I completely remodeled my mind. And it was something good that I made out of it. In reality, I tick every box of bloody PTSD. I mean, come to that with you. So here you are, bullying, uh, well, bullied, shall I say. Sometimes people who get bullied become bullies themselves. Has that been the case with you? Yes. Now you hear hurt people hurt people. Mm. People have been bullied, bully people. Mm. So absolutely. Mm. Yep, and it happened with me. So I used to play sports in a way that was very not friendly. Let's put it that way. Mm. Put it mildly. Um, you know, modern day, you would call it the snicker bar syndrome. Hey, I'll give you a snicker bar. You do this and you get a snicker bar. Well, I didn't need any incentives like that. I went out to harm people so we could mm. have less of them. So we could beat less people. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, I had a mindset that I would win at no cost. And uh, I was pretty, I was wired brutally in sports, unfortunately. You know, I played football, I actually mm. played American football, mm. basketball, and then lacrosse at a very high level. Mm. And I don't know how my teammates could even stand me. Because I brought that same type of mentality in, in the practices as well. Mm. But they put up with me because all I told them was, I'm toughing you up. So when you get to the game day, it's going to be a little easier for you because you're not going to see anybody like me mm. during the game. So we'll do well as, as a team. And there's something to be said about that. Certainly from your point of view, I absolutely understand that. I lived that life as well. and. This is what you think is the reality. My reality was that in three years' time, someone will try to kill me. That's my reality. The guy looked in my face, in my eyes, and swatted to me in front of the judge. So I, yeah, uh, you know, there are certain things that they become a reality. For you, it was a reality. You were bullied, and the only way that you can survive is to be the strongest, the king of the mountain. 
So you played the same. Uh, basically, a toxic masculinity. Um, that's probably how we would describe it today. But it was a pure survival instinct for you. How was your relationship with women? When did women come or partners come onto the the playing field? I didn't start dating until high school. Mm. Probably eleventh and twelfth grade, so seventeen years old. Mm. And then I got married at 29 years old with my first wife. And that's when violence came into play. I used to get involved with domestic violence. I used to posture. So hands around the neck, but not squeezing. Hands on the hair, but not pulling. Mm -hmm. Thank God it was just posturing and not acting out to the point where hair was being pulled out of a head or being choked. And then I became aware of my anger. Uh, I had a student, when because I, I was a teacher for 22 years, and I had a student say, hey, Mr. Birkin, I black out when I fight. And I said to this young man, I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, I fight, and my friends tell me, or family tell me, after the fact, that I was in a fight. So I did my homework on that and found out that there's a cycle of anger that people can actually black out in anger. And a lot of people don't realize that, Stefan. You know, it's when cortisol and adrenaline is pumping through your blood system at the same time, you will literally black out. Mm. So if you have fists or a knife or a gun, and you black out, you don't know what you're doing. It's like a, a drunk who's uh -huh. blacked out, alcohol guy who's, it's a blackout. It's a, it's a physiological thing. And a lot of people aren't aware of that, that we're capable of doing that. Please, it is. That is, that is because most of us are no longer accepting violence as part of our, of our uh, makeup and, and there is a lot to be said about this kind of pretend that this is a peaceful world and there's a lot to be there's there is no danger out there therefore and some people live that successfully for many years until it catches up with them but the um we do no longer kill we go to the supermarket and have it nicely cellophane wrapped our chicken. We don't slice the neck of a bull uh, in order to and then slaughter it. That is, you know, we've we've moved away from things that were natural to us. Therefore, we have moved away also for some of these emotions and some of the anger and some of these kind of things. We'll try to suppress them uh, come hell or high water. And for some of us that unfortunately then, um, yeah, if when it comes out, then it comes as a big surprise. And that's what we see normal normal people suddenly going into road rage and suddenly, you know, jumping out of the car and beating the shit out of someone else. And you think, what the hell? This guy is a is a whatever, a lawyer or is a, a something like that. Because we have got all the same stressors as we had on the cave floor. Um, at least our body perceives it like that. Yet we have no longer learned how to deal with it. We do no longer do the... the we are no longer exposed to what is really happening on our reptilian brain level and mammalian brain level. Bloody hell, man. I, I, what I love is that you're so honest about it and that you're so clear about it because that is, 
it is so important to spell that out, to bring that out. It's like a taboo to talk about it, but it shouldn't be because anger, resentment eats so many of us. And when you're a survivor, then you do what you have to do. And in your mind, it's the right thing, beating the shit out of the other guy. And that's fine. Where, how did that go when you were in a classroom? Because there must have been many challenging times in a classroom. How do you deal with your anger and with that kind of survivalist, not survivalist, that's the wrong word, survivor, survivor mentality in your head when there's a potentially threatening episode in, in school? Right. I was trained as a teacher to not be compassionate. We were taught not to smile to our students until June when the school year was over. <laughs> okay. So basically my students feared me. Ah, okay. And basically I was able to teach because of that, because they did as they were told. I just wanted to teach. I wanted them to learn. So it was intimidating, but yeah, it was successful because everybody did their work and, and behaved. Now, there was times, though, that I was verbally assaulted, threatened to be killed, um, one time physically assaulted, and I was able to keep it in check to the point where I didn't lose my job over it. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, because I taught in a city for 20 years, and it's not easy. These city schools are not easy here in New York right now. And I don't think there's too many cities in our country or internationally that are having a tough time in our cities right now, especially. Now you have the outside suburbs and rural that seem like they do a better job, but our cities are suffering right now in our in our state and, and country. So, yeah, I could I could put a counter argument to that. At least it's obvious in the inner city schools, in the in the lower docile school, schools, schools. Whilst there's better window dressing uh, in the Catholic uh, private Christian school, while there's better. Uh, better pretends that there is no violence happening. Yet, actually, both of my children have been bullied. Um, both of them went to some, uh, one to a more public school, the other one to a private school, um, and there was bullying in both of them. Uh, and I'm lucky that I did not know that at the time, because I'm not so sure that I have been, that I would have been able to respond to it in maybe a calm way. I think my survivor would have come out. And I think, yeah, I'm pleased that I, I was not exposed to that potential. I don't know what I would have done with the other kid. Um, right. So, and, but it taught me, we are talking, we are talking really lovely schools, yet there was shit happening behind the scenes. And so therefore, when I read your, 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 about you, about trying to bully proof, it became so, so it, it really brought it home to me. I need to talk to you, Peter, how you do, because here you are, you have lived the violence, you have seen the violence, you have seen the bullying, 
both as a recipient, as a giver, and now as an as an observer in your school. With all that expert knowledge, for Christ's sake, um, where are we going with that? What what do you think is possible to be done? What what are the root causes of the bullying? I have experienced teaching our city students in their homes, in the hospital, in the community. And then from there, I substitute taught everything from kindergarten through 12th grade. I taught an alternative education from our school where all our long-term suspended students went to. They were there for physical attacks and also weapons. I also worked at orphanages in the jail system within our school district. So you mentioned expert. I would consider myself an expert because mm -hmm. of my experience that I was bullied and then I became a bully. Mm -hmm. And then I worked in all these different institutions and also worked in general education, seventh through 12th grade science. So I got an opportunity to see that each one of those kids are a mistake away from being long-term suspended or being incarcerated or going into an institution. We're all human nature, mammalian reptilian parts of the brain. Mm. We're all a moment away from making a, a bad choice. So the answer to that is going within, becoming aware that this is an internal game and I can bully proof myself. And then what we do is, once we take good care of ourselves, and we realize that everybody is a mirror image of ourselves, we'll start taking better care of not only of ourselves through self-care and self-love, we'll be able to do the law of reciprocity. And there's a lot of religions and persuasions out there that have the same type of golden rule out there, which is you do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. But then you use the law of reciprocity, which means I'm going to be good to you. Hopefully you'll be giving it right back to me, which is the law of reciprocity. At the same time, you can't expect it from you and I in, in exchange, but you can have faith that we're going to be both good to each other as long as we mm. see eye to eye a little bit. I'll give you a, for instance, I have a, a son and I taught my son that there was a series of things you need to do before an altercation. And it depends on the setting as well. So let's say, for instance, he's in school and he gets bullied. He has to go and approach an adult before he takes action in his own hand. So, for instance, if John gets hit in the head by, let's say, Sam, and he goes up to the teacher and goes, you know, Miss Smith, I just got hit in the back of the head by Sam. What can you do about it? And Miss Smith goes, don't be a snitch. Go back to your seat. There's nothing I can do about it. Versus coming up to me as Mr. Birkin and John comes up to me and I say, hey, John, I'm sorry that Sam punched you in the back of the head. How are you doing? Are you feeling okay? So what I'm going to do is, and then John's going to say something like, Mr. Birkin, I, I feel sad. So I'm going to acknowledge him, 
validate him. And then I'm going to say to John, hey, John, what can I do to make this right? What can I do to make this right? Beautiful. So oh. now John feels empowered because I've acknowledged, I validated him, and I'm going to get to a solution to the problem, which is to eradicate that bullying situation. If not, I couldn't do it in the moment, but I can do it in moving forward. And I'm going to do it with John's help. And Sam now is going to be reckoned with as well. So it's really validating what John just went through. Beautiful. Beautiful. Because if you, if you talk to, to survivors of any kind of violence, half of the time, uh, or probably more, the when they try to seek help, uh, let it be women who have been raped or sexually abused, etc., they're often the first response from their parents or from other people who should know better is dismiss and oh no no I, I, I don't i don't believe you and that kind of negative and that is often a, a bigger trauma than the actual abuse in its own right so your your validation and you're actually focusing on the on on john in this case to to actually just validate him is so beautiful 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 um, the problem is there will be, especially in the inner city school, there will be a lot of Sams because like you, the, the king of the mountain, they will have been brought up in the same way. They will have had this, their, their, their own survival instincts kicking in. They will be the bully because of trauma there. How do you address that? Is that an insurmountable task? Are we no. actually just kidding ourselves? It's not insurmountable at all, Stefan. I'm, I'm, I'm poking the buttons here. Okay. So, <laughs> so I hope that you say that. <laughs> we can actually eradicate the way Sam treats people based on giving him love. First of all, make him aware that we care about you. Mm. And what we're going to do is we're going to show how we care about you by taking you out of this environment and taking you to a peace room where we can have a teacher slash life coach, like for instance, I'm a life coach as well, who can actually acknowledge, validate Sam for what he just did, mm -hmm. but to realize that there's a consequence for every action, especially a violent action like that. So what we have to do is interrupt the pattern of what he's doing in a classroom or in school. So in this room, what we do is we coach, okay? So when Sam comes to the, we call it the peace room, you know, before we used to call it in-school suspension, right? And it was a consequence and mm -hmm. the teacher would be very strict and everything, but at the same time, it depends mm -hmm. on how those rooms are being run. Mm -hmm. There, there is a model I have, it's all in my head and paper too, is to run these peace rooms, okay? Mm -hmm. And the way it looks like is Sam comes into the peace room and I let Sam have space. I don't go into him and go, what happened? What'd you mm -hmm. do now? I don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. I give him space and say, Sam, when you're ready, we're going to talk. But there's rules in place, though, Stefan, you know, mm -hmm. you don't come in there and, and say, I just did this in class and 
No, it's you come mm. in quietly, you take a seat, mm. and raise your hand or gesture when you're ready to talk to me. And then I just say, hey, I acknowledge and validate them and say, look at why you're mm. here. Mm. These are the rules. We get your work done still. Mm. Even though you did what you did, you've already spoken to the principal. Mm. This is your consequence. I'm still going to make you do your work and it's going to be graded by your teachers. Mm. It's just, we all at times need a time out. Mm. Even a student from a teacher or when a student acts out in class, they mm. have a consequence. They come to the peace room. Mm. There's no reason for our classrooms to be so disruptive where minutes and minutes of class instructions lost every day mm. for the same kids. Mm. We're losing hours and hours of instruction weekly for the year. It's ridiculous. We have over 180 school days. And if we're spending 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes on discipline, which happens, mm. you're losing about half half the school period. And then you add that in for 180 days. Mm. A kid could literally be a half year behind mm. the rest of the school district or mm. Mm. Uh, another classroom run well. So these peace rooms, you could do this for what was the, the in-school suspension room. Lunch detention would be mm. peace detention, lunch mm. peace detention, mm. however you want to call mm. it, mm. after school and Saturday. Because mm. what we have to do is show that the adults are in charge, mm. students are going to go there to learn, and they're mm. going to feel safe. Because mm. right now, attendance is a big issue in our district. Our kids do not feel safe. They don't come to school. Mm. So you make school safe and they attend school mm. knowing that they're going to learn. We're going to, we're going to bring a healthy climate mm. into that school. So kids mm. can actually mm. feel safe enough to get their lessons mm. so they can graduate from high school. Mm. You know, we have some successful like charter schools here in our country in New York, which most kids will graduate out of a charter school and go to college. Mm. How can those same city kids go to a charter school and go to college? Mm. Yet a lot of our city kids going to the public schools can't even finish high school, let alone go to college. Mm. Other than there's a lot of bullying going on in the schools. Mm. So we have to make what's uncomfortable comfortable. Mm. You know, you mentioned trauma based on uh, you know, women getting raped, men getting violated as well. We have to expose this darkness, okay? Mm. If we have to learn from a very young age that, and these are the uncomfortable conversations that a parent has to have with a child. You can't expect school to teach at preschool three and four what parents should be teaching at home. Mm. And it should be basically anyone goes near your private or touches you or makes you feel uncomfortable, you have to tell an adult that this mm. adult is making me feel uncomfortable. You know, mm. in our culture, it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta do as the elders tell you. No, no, no. There's some mm. elders that are just out there to, to make kids harmed. Mm. And that's unacceptable. We can't have a kid come out of the gate with so much trauma because an adult mishandles them or, I'll, I'll tell you where my, my choking came in. My uncle, I challenged his poker hand 
when I was about nine years old. Okay. He grabbed me by the throat. My father took him out in the front lawn and beat him up. Beat up my uncle. So because I did the work and went in the past when that experience actually happened to me, that's when it surfaced as an adult in my relationship with my wife, my sister, and my brother, these posturing things. So one thing I can say about that, Stefan, is that when my student told me about this anger and blackout, I went and researched it in town and started taking anger management classes. And I did learn how to figure out the triggers in my life. And once you become aware, like anything else, when you become aware of something, that's when you could do true work and healing. Okay. So I learned because I'm also a certified passion test facilitator. I learned about triggers to notice your feelings when it comes to controversy. So if you and I are in a disagreement, for instance, and we sense these feelings of, you know, my ears are turning red, um, my, I'm clenching my fists, and, mm-hmm. and things are getting kind of haywire in my heart. I feel it in my heart. I feel like I'm starting to get sweaty. I know that I'm in a fight or flight situation. I got to take the moment to use my skills. And I do a workshop. And what we do is we sit down and we consciously come up with all the skills. They are emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like when you're in the moment, Mm -hmm. you don't go working through your head. What am I going to do in this instant to get myself out of this predicament? Mm -hmm. You have to have this stuff worked out. And one of the keys is setting boundaries. And this is one of the things I I wanted to talk about is you need to have boundaries for yourself Mm. and you need to have the boundaries of the people in your life in relationships. And I'll give you, for instance, I got married a second time and thank God I never touched my second wife at all because I, this was after I took anger management class. And One thing she would do, and I got better at this, was she would come in the room that I left. You know, we fought verbally, and then I would leave the room, and she'd follow me into the other room like I was getting caged into the corner. And so we have a thing called the nature's guidance system, which is just a beautiful way when you get in a conflict with someone. But one of the biggest things we need to do is have self-boundaries and boundaries with other loved ones. Mm. So the way it looks like now in a relationship was I actually dated for a while, a young lady for, for five months. So we set up boundaries before we ever fought. And guess what? We never fought. <laughs> and, the, and the one boundary was this. This was lovely. We're not to raise our voice toward each other. That was the one boundary. And for five months we dated and we never argued (laughs) because I I was in a good situation. It could have been like, if you raise your voice, you can't stay over. Mm -hmm. You have to go home. And because we were in a good loving space, when we set up those boundaries, we never had to 
to go into that elevated yeah. speech or swearing. You know, there's there's rules of engagement, and you know, in a relationship, it's best not to raise your voice or swear at your loved uh, one. Yeah. So those are a couple of boundaries. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, and. Uh, Uh, the problem, of course, is that many relationships start uh, being all beautiful and lovely and it's all fine for two years and then kids come along and then uh, hard work comes along and then fatigue comes along and postnatal depression. And by the time you have blinked, your relationship has gone down the gurgler and you have never had the chance to set these boundaries. And so, therefore, things get out of hand. And that was certainly the way that my relationship with my wife had materialized. And we were awful. We were uh, emotionally immature. We had no idea about really those waves of hormones and neurochemicals washing over us. And we were fighting like, honestly, third world war is nothing compared with the fights that she and I had. Fast forward now after rehab, after me actually learning so much more about myself nowadays, it's virtually impossible for Lisa and me to have a fight. It's virtually impossible because we have learned actually techniques. We have learned to recognize when we are not in a good place. And that's normal. Okay, when I've just come home after 12 hours of work and maybe not such a nice day. I need 10, 15 minutes to decompress. If she now comes in my face and says, look what happened to me, blah, 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 blah. A, I want to run. And typically she doesn't let me run. So therefore I'm going to fight, fight or flight after all. So, and that's what can happen in a, in a relationship. Set boundaries and say, look, honey, I love you to bits. But when I come home, I go straight to my room. And for 10 minutes, I don't want to see anyone. And then I've taken some deep breaths and maybe just focused on something else. And then you can tell me everything about the day. Would that be okay? Guess what? One of the biggest stresses for us was taken out of the equation. And so we did it with a number of other things. Healthy boundaries. What you're saying is so gold, man. And if, the, if you do the same, if you extrapolate it out of the, the relationship with your wife towards relationship with other people, maybe with your children. And the children, uh, with your children, as in uh, pupils at school, and say these are the boundaries. There are certain things you can do, certain things you can't do, and and we'll take it from there. But explain these emotions, and I love your peace room, because these waves of emotions. What are they? Ten minutes, give or take, thereabouts. An anxiety attack. That's sort of the ballpark, or or a really the red hot anger. Um, 10 minutes, there's, there's only so long that you can, can sustain a, an aggressive emotion like that. So if you let this, this person have it, his own space and let them calm down and then address the issue, wow, where would that, where, where would that take us? So that's an amazing, amazing uh, thing. So thank you for being so honest, for crying out loud. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to, to say is that there are actually many other factors that actually could be relatively easily improved that we don't think about. Thinking about is Jamie Oliver. Uh, he is a celebrity chef in the UK. And quite some years ago, he did an experiment where he discussed 
with a school in his borough, uh, in his state, um, that he wanted to change their nutrition and wanted to help them. So he went in there and in the first school, and it was reality TV, so TV followed him. And he initially fought, had to fight against the the, the dinner lady uh, because they had been used to getting frozen Twistlers shit and, and frozen hamburgers, which they, and it was awful food. Um, but that was what they could afford. That was what they knew, etc. And he came in and he taught the dinner lady to cook. She actually didn't know how to cook. So they started creating school dinners and uh, started home, home, home cooked meals for the whole school. It was a huge revolution. And what happened is that the behavior in the schoolrooms completely changed. The, the behavior of children um, having to be sent to the principal, asthma attacks, uh, so sick days, etc., completely changed. Everything changed. And that then made the dinner lady suddenly realize, bloody hell, my kids are behaving so different here. Everyone could feel the difference. So out of that one school, uh, he then converted other schools around. And it was the be most beautiful movement uh, that was occurring there, where really the focus on nutrition completely changed the behavior in the classrooms. So therefore, I would, I would, I would put forward the notion that a focus on nutrition and a focus on healthy eating and providing opportunities to do so would make such a huge difference as well. Because after all, you're, if what we want to stop is bullying. Bullying is fight and flight. Now, what get, makes us go into fight and flight? Well, it's either aggression, fair call. But also, if you are hungry, then your, your reptilian brain says, hey, hang on, I'm, I'm starving to death here. I need to go fight or flight. I need to, to kill something. Well, if you're thirsty, same thing. If you, you know, all these basic things, if you don't let someone go to the toilet and the bladder is big to about here um, because of some mistaken belief, uh, bullshit. So again, this person will be ratty. And so there are many little things. If we were to take them out of the equation and put their, their being into a more serene resting state, because they are not hungry, they are not thirsty, they have emptied their bladder, they are actually, no one is, is attacking them, and they are being nurtured and being given the chance if they fuck up, well, they can go into the serenity room or peace room. And would that not be a beautiful thing? Do you not think that this would be an environment where the children would love to go to, however chaotic their home is, however chaotic their neighborhood is? Because they have got six, seven, eight hours of peace at school. Would that not be wonderful? So, yes, yeah, I think what you're doing there is amazing. Do you get a buy-in from this, uh, from this idea? How is your school, how are the, the, the powers to be responding to such ideas? Before I get into that, you mentioned the United Kingdom. Can we comment on that for a moment? Oh, of course, please. We had... Uh, I taught at a long-term suspended school. So most kids want to stay in school, okay? When you're displaced out of school because of a long-term suspension, you're talking violence, uh, weapons, that kind of thing, 
you got a thing called a long-term suspension. And then you went into our school. Uh-huh. Now, the United Kingdom actually came to the school to see what we were doing. They actually visited my classroom. And that's why it brings up this thing about United Kingdom. We had 150 long-term suspended kids in 10 classrooms. So 15 self-contained kids in one classroom with one halftime century with a baton, not a like a airport x-ray machine. This was just a baton checking kids for weapons. And there was no breakfast, no lunch, four hours of instruction. They all attended. They did all their schoolwork. They did not misbehave. And then the teacher at the end of the day recommended to the students back to school. And then we had a transition teacher that transitioned them back to school. And there wasn't recidivism. There wasn't them repeating the school because they were reformed. We interrupted the way they were doing things. Okay. That sounds like a very tough love to me, um, the way you describe it. Um, where is the nurturing there? Where is the, the, the validation there? Good question. What happens is because it was a safe environment for four hours of the day, and back in 1994, 95, we didn't have to do all this feeding the kids. We didn't have to do all that. So the expectation wasn't there. Hey, you guys haven't fed me. It wasn't all this, uh, I'm a victim and you owe me everything kind of mindset. This was okay. basically, this okay. is how it is. Yeah. You're at peace. There's there's goodness going on in the school. You're getting all your lessons done. And the motivation was there to do well enough to go back to school so you could get breakfast and lunch. Right. So you could have an after-school program. Oh, I see. I see. Kind of this way around. Okay. Interesting. Interesting then, take on yeah. things. Okay. And then if there wasn't, if there was so many kids, they would go on home hospital. We had 90 teachers teach kids at home, four kids a day on an average. Yeah. So that's another 360 students, 150 students in our school that weren't in the classrooms keeping teachers from teaching the students that wanted yeah. to learn. Yeah. So it actually was a very effective program, but everyone wants to blame budget cuts and mm-hmm. eliminating teachers and mm-hmm. no, 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 no. We generate income by students showing up to school. Okay. The more kids that come to school, the more income comes in, the more staff you can have. Mm-hmm. It's almost like counterintuitive. You know, we, we literally need our kids to show up to school so we can have more resources <laughs> and safe. Let's make them safe while they're going to school. And we can do that. I know so we true. Can. So true. And that is at a moment. Uh, and that is obviously, we are talking about the school system where still <laughs> schools are there and where kids are going to school. Well, the last two years, that has dramatically changed. How are the lessons that you have learned in your life, how do you think we can apply them to the situation that we have got now? Increased family stresses 
people being laid off, um, family violence getting worse, um, all those things. And yet the children are expected to somehow be, yay, now we're going to learn algebra. Yay. Yeah, about that. Um, what, what thoughts have you got about that dilemma? So everything you listed were external things, things we have no control over. The only thing we have control over is our own dominion. So we have to go inward. We have to find peace in our own, own world and find joy in our own world and happiness in our own world and not have to have it dependent on a marriage uh, spouse, you know, dependent on a job or a career. you got to look at it as being, okay, I don't have this job right now. Yeah. How am I going to equip myself well enough to get the next job? Or I'm going to take this opportunity, you know, I'm collecting unemployment in our country uh, to start a business mm. and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it, it's going to, and I, I think Steph, and this is how we, we heal the planet too, is if everybody realizes and become aware that we have everything within us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once everybody stays in their own yard, takes care of their own self, and makes themselves healthy yeah. through self-care and self-love, yeah. they will finally realize that I don't need anything outside to, to make me happy. And then from there, you're going to find that you're going to be a mirror image of each other, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to get it back. You know, my, like my, my, my son, I, I told him, I said, John, you know, if someone ever gives you a trouble, you just you go look at it. I don't want any trouble with you. Why don't we go to, to the coffee shop and have a donut and a cup of coffee or a cocoa, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. depending on the age of the child. Mm -hmm. But to think there's got to be conflicts and there's, there's got to be this rite of passage anymore about bullying, mm -hmm. it needs to stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got to, you know, like, for instance, a substitute teacher in our city school district gets hammered on by the kids. It's a day off for the kids. But as a teacher, for me, when I substitute taught, the kids were golden every time. Golden. Why can't you be our teacher? In one day. It took one day. And the key was this. When they came into the classroom, have a sincere greeting. Thank you for coming to class. Good morning. And then basically change the approach with every child. Good to see you this morning. Great to see you. Thanks for coming to class on time. And then and then globally, once they're all in their seat before a belt, just think of what they did. They were all there. They were all greeted. And then they all sat down on time before a bell, like a Pavlov dog. So now <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge and validate all that as a sub. Exactly. I want to say thank you for being here on time. Exactly. And being in your seat before the bell. And all I want to say now is anyone here what the law of reciprocity is. And the students go, no. I said, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down to you a little bit. Huh. I'm gonna say, you guys saw me greet you this morning, right? Yeah. I said, and you greeted me back, didn't you? Yes. I said, that's the law of reciprocity. And then they're like, oh, is that like the golden rule? And I'm like, yeah, that's like the golden rule. And then someone else would say, that's like karma. And I say, yeah, that's like karma. It's the same thing. <laughs> so we get this yeah. building rapport and buy-in instead of me saying, you know, I, 
I'll give you, for instance, I was teaching second grade as a substitute teacher and a kid come running into the room real fast, Stefan. And I said to the young man, I go, thank you for coming to get the class on time like you did instead of getting into his face and yelling at him for uh-huh. running in the school. And then I said to the young man, I said, first of all, I asked him about his name because we all want to hear our name, right? Yeah. And then I said, I want you to be my helper today. Would that be okay? So I asked him permission, right? So then I said to him, I go, look, you're going to be my teacher's aide to start the class. And then here's the thing about it. There might be an opportunity where someone else might need to, to help me. What do you think if I give them a chance after you do some work with me in the beginning of class? And he's like, all right, all right. So then I can kind of look over the classroom and next thing you know, I wouldn't even need anybody else because once you get that one kid engaged, yeah, because he just was starving for attention. Yeah. And I had that class and, you know, I could go into kindergarten one day, second grade that day, fourth grade, and then 12th grade at the the biggest banging school district city school (laughs) and have them do very well because of, I'll give you, I'll give you an experiment they did in our district. It is actually at an orphanage. They had it where a principal said to the students, we want you to kill your your teachers with kindness. <laughs> so over the days, the students were saying, good morning. How are you doing? They were actually groomed and conditioned to do well for the teachers. They found in a very short period of time, those teachers were being nice to the same students. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very sick culture of teachers <laughs> trying to teach kids and it's just it's just a bad situation a very toxic situation right now so that experiment shows that even our teachers need to be acknowledged and validated and oh hell them. yes absolutely absolutely oh how beautiful how beautiful no no your point is very very valid and I see that I see that just as a basic human need to be validated and to be be listened to. And it doesn't matter if you're the principal. It doesn't matter if you're the teacher or if you're the child. Um, I think the same principle applies to all of us. And it is a really, really humbling thing when someone does that. And I try to do that in my job. I try to talk to the to the cleaner as in the same way as I talk to the CEO and and anyone in between. And it completely changes the environment. It completely is a beautiful thing. Um, and just the good morning and the the one little sentence that has that that you don't need to do, but I do, just changes things dramatically. And that's so beautiful. So, so beautiful. I think that is, you're right. And why can we not change the world? Why can we not apply those principles, those very sound and basic principles to our daily life and see what karma or the law of reciprocity or or whatever you want to call it, what it gives back to us. So could you imagine we tried it all for one day? 
<laughs> what would we have? What would happen to this world? <laughs> it would be an amazing, amazing place to be. Uh, the question then is, well, what stops us? Why can't we? And Peter, you're on the right, on the right way there. I know your book is is being rewritten, and Peter is actually publishing very soon, more in a wider place. Is two hundred thirty four. Um, tips, shall I say it like that? Shall I, your, your techniques of bullyproofing your environment? Yeah. Bullyproofing uh, 234 solutions to the problems. Beautiful. Which gives the step, the problem, the solution, the benefits and outcomes, and the tools and resources to implement the change. Beautiful. And it will bring more peace and passion in, in life really well oh man that should that will hopefully be soon a mandatory reading for so many many of your colleagues um because that's what we need to start with uh but having said that once that has filtered through it should be mandatory reading for the children and they should be mandatorily bringing it home and making a little teaching session at home um, because the parents need to listen to that as well. I love what you said earlier on that you can't expect that the teachers are sorting it all out when the parents are just too busy with other things. Well, no, that doesn't work. You're, a teacher is a wonderful, powerful human being, but you are not a parent. There is You can only do so much at school. And by the way, you have to teach them as well, <laughs> not just nurture them, et cetera, but you have to actually have some, some knowledge and some wisdom to, to hand over um, based on your school, school curriculum. Uh, but all the other things, we need to bring the parents on board and we need to bring those virtues and those, those principles into the parents themselves. Show them a serenity room or a peace room at home. <laughs> Maybe that's what they should 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 actually create at home. So your system is is usable, not just in a in a school, not just in a rough school. It's usable in every school, and it's usable in every environment actually. So now, Peter is. I'm 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 really 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 pleased that we got together to to that you taught me uh, your your values that you exposed me to your to your ideas because you made me rethink rethink what i know about bullying and which is a beautiful thing so it is actually hopefully we we too can bring this message out there and if people wanted to know more about you if people wanted to to find out more about your coaching etc how they how can they get hold of you the best method would be to email me at pburkin at gmail.com. That's P is in Peter Birkin, B-U-R-K-I-N at gmail.com. Beautiful. Put in the subject line, passion test, or put in your podcast, some mm. sobriety steps, and we'll connect. Wonderful. Uh, what I, what I Look would down do, there. Look down there into the description of the, the podcast. It's down there. Description of the video. It's down there, guys. Sorry, I was interrupting you, Peter. Oh, no, I was saying I was going to offer a coaching session, 30 minute coaching session for anyone that responds to me by email. That's beautiful. Uh, so, guys, what have you got to lose? Huh? And here are two hotheads. We got our shit together. Um, and two very angry men and a man have I been seething with resentment, uh, have I been seething with anger as far out. Um, 
And yeah, nowadays is a different time. And so if you're an angry man out there and this interview actually spoke to you down there in the description, pberkin at gmail.com. And whilst you're down there, press that subscribe button there, okay? And talk to your friends about this this weird show where they're actually, where they're really talking honestly about the taboos, about the, the mental health problems that are so prevalent and that are normal out there. We call it mental health problems, but these are challenges in our daily lives that affect absolutely everyone. Some of us happen to be a little bit better to keep to deal with it. And many of us who are better equipped are equipped because they have been going through some really, really dark times. So now, guys, this, these are amazing times and you have got the opportunity right now to change your life. You've got the opportunity right now to make a difference. Okay, you're not a victim. You don't have to be the victim. You can be actually the person who is taking charge and dealing with your trauma dealing with the bullying, helping others who are being bullied and making this world a little bit better. Peter, thank you so, so much for being a guest on my show. I truly, truly was honored then that about you, about your humility and your, your transparency. Uh, these were hard things to admit to that oneself has been violent and has been a bully. Regrettably, that is unfortunately part of our journey. Uh, hurt people, hurt other people as you said. So now, thank you so much. You honored me. Thank you for letting me be on your show, Steph, and I appreciate it. No trouble at all. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Stay strong. There is hope out there. Honestly, there is hope, and you will find it. Look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>